Welcome to the Whole Whale episode thread, the 2v2, where we invite brave guests to come on and share two of their social impact ideas, ideas that make the world potentially a little better. And in exchange on the other side of the two, I share two ideas uh, that I have that I've left on the cutting room floor because it is a thing I do. I write down tons of ideas. And so if you're the type of person that loves writing things in notebooks and brainstorming and coming up with ideas that make the world a little bit better. Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. I think this is going to be fun. We have a great guest. We have a great guest today, Joe McGee, uh, absolute veteran in the space of building things. He is the uh, co-founder of Rallybound, and he currently serves as an advisor to Neon One. Joe, how's it going? It's going great, George. Thanks for having me. Excited to get into it. All right, so I, I want to give a little bit of flavor of like your background. So give us the like the the sixty second, what those things are in you and how you come to social entrepreneurship. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I uh, social entrepreneurship as a label, uh, I've always sort of looked at it in a curious fashion. I, I never believed that profits and purpose were mutually exclusive. So everything that I've thought about from my decade plus actually in technology has been with that lens of how can I make the world a better place? And I take that into um, the future. Uh, so over my last uh, probably eight years, I was the co-founder of Rallybound. We grew that uh, from two people to 30 uh, and exited that venture, sold it in August 2018. So this is the two-year anniversary of this month. Actually, the 23rd is when I signed that deal. Stayed on uh, to continue the journey with Neon CRM and now Neon One and helping nonprofits grow, operate uh, through a software platform that, that speaks to them and that really moves the needle. Left there in December of 2019 and uh, have been uh, actually a stay-at-home school teacher to a three and a six-year-old. <laughs> So I have a lot of uh, anxiety, angst, passion for what it takes for teachers uh, to, to educate young minds these days. And so it's what I've been thinking about and what I'm excited to dig in with you today. Yeah, he's a stay-at-home field researcher, obviously. Um, this is <laughs> amazing. Yeah, I've got two of my own and um, the, the level of homework for a two-and-a-half-year-old is no, nowhere near what you're dealing with. So uh, hats off to you. We can Likewise. sell outsource ours to Khan Academy. Uh, yeah. So, all righty, let's just remind our guests um, and the people listening here what we're up to. You know, we're going to hear an idea from Jay just shortly. He's going to kick us off, and we're going to look at it from an idea of impact. How is the world a little different, a little bit better as a result of this idea being floated into it? Um, what does the downstream impact have on the people building it, people working with it, and thinking about that? The number two, economic viability. How does this thing make money? Does it need money? How does it interact in terms of how it scales as it relates to the uh, amount of money involved. And then number three, breadth versus depth. Is this a scalable thing or uh, does it have to scale directly to trading hours for dollars or humans for programmatic impact? And we'll look at that, finally deliver a score, which we'll both come to in a, in a jovial argument, uh, and then talk through the uh, MVP. How do we build this as uh, quickly, efficiently as possible if we were to throw it out there in the world? All right, Joe, enough talking. Let's hear your first idea, please. Yeah, so uh, one of the things, uh, as I just discussed, that I've been dealing with over the last six months is trying to balance educating 
my children, keeping them engaged and, and frankly busy out of my hair as I look to try to launch another venture, as well as the screen time that they are so attracted to and, and, and holds their attention, whether it's little games or, or you know, YouTube or, or Netflix. And as we move into the fall, as we move into this uncertainty, you know, I'm, I'm down in the, the South Bay of Los Angeles and our kids are going to be going back to school with, with remote only. Um, so my daughter is entering first grade. My son will be going into a preschool daycare and, and we're making some really tough decisions, my wife and I. And so what I've been thinking about is why isn't there a modern day digital first version of PBS, a, a kid's channel that is engaging, that's educational, maybe slightly entertainment um, and delivered to the cord cutters of the world, which, which I am, as an application um, that can be accessed anywhere on any device. And I, I'm frankly really wanting this. <laughs> I really want something that this fall can, can hold my kids' attention. And I think about this in the context of not just in a, in a pandemic, uh, but also in a post-COVID world. What are the applications that parents can look to that will both inform, educate, and engage children online? So to that end, let's talk about some of the competition out there because my mind immediately went to like, I haven't got the stuff too. It's like YouTube kids, right? They have allowed us to aggregate and, and, and set up how we would create custom curated feed from YouTube so I can shop, pull it in and boom, I have my parental controls. Also PBS kids, they have an app and it lets you download things asynchronously, but it's, you know, it's, it's a marketplace. Talk to me about the difference here or build on. Yeah, so um, what I really want is more something that's uh, curriculum driven that has a human interaction, quote unquote, interface. And that is to say, not an algorithm, not a feed, not something that's programmatically curated, rather the parent has some type of influence on, um, and there's some level of expert sort of curriculum. So uh, you, you mentioned Khan Academy. I think that that's a, a, a great sort of, not legacy because it's, it's very new age, um, but, but that's a modern way of delivering online education. As I've mentioned previously, I was involved in the team that launched TED-Ed, which was uh, one of YouTube's first educational partnerships uh, in the context of the tenor, uh, Technology Entertainment Design Conference. Um, and that was a really interesting Im implementation of, of online education. So what I'm looking for is something that actually aggregates and curates online resources, but has a trusted source of, of curriculum and curation. So that being a teacher or an educator or a principal who's able to sort of design these courses. Now, I'm not saying original programming or original content because I understand that the economics are not feasible, in my opinion, out of the gate for, for a, a startup, even in, in someone that's venture-backed, but rather taking open source or partner licensed content that they're going to be able to repurpose in this sort of curriculum fashion, that be it for first grade, middle school, high school. Um, and I started doing some of the math you know, if you think about a thousand hours of programming per year, you know, that's 20 hours uh, for 50 weeks, roughly. And then you start multiplying by the times of students and age and grades, this, this exponentially gets, gets larger and more difficult. Um, but what I'm thinking of is something that is expert curated with some type of educator knowledge, but using online curriculum and packaged in a format that the parent has the ability to, again, curate to a degree um, and I don't mean it to be programmatic or algorithmic, but rather human influenced. Yeah. And, you know, it's like trying to, 
I get it, right? Because it's it's a wild west. When I'm curating on those apps for myself, I'm like, one, I'm a dope. I am no educator trained in this age in this way. Like I'm, you know, as I joked about, kind of outsourced a lot of like what my two year old should be learning to Khan Academy. I'm like, that seems good. I I would never have remembered to teach her first and last. She would have gone to college not knowing what first and last meant because it would just would have slipped my mind. And they check that box and they're kind of going through. It gets more complicated though, it seems like when you drift into different school age levels. So I'm wondering if you'd put a, a grade level parameter on this or where you would start even. It's super interesting. You know, my kids during this uh, shelter and place stay at home have really gravitated. We've been watching uh, a LeVar Burton on Reading Rainbow from the 80s. And it's been magical when they, they, they tend to fall asleep as we put it around in the, in the late afternoon. Um, but I find myself sitting there, you know, reminiscing of how much I enjoyed that, that content. It's relaxing. It's educational. There's, there's a high uh, degree of emotional intelligence in a lot of these things. You know, my wife was just reading uh, this, um, I believe it's Kamala and Maya, this uh, Kamala Harris's niece wrote a children's book. And it's, it's fantastic because it talks about activism and empowerment. And I just started to think about all the complexities that we're trying to educate our kids as, again, as my daughter enters first grade. So I, I do come at, at, at a limited perspective. You know, I, I think that if I remember, you know, being around kids and, and around the neighborhood of grades two, three, you know, grade six and seventh and eighth, these are hellish times for, for adolescents. So I can't imagine the, the degree to which you can, you know, repackage a Fortnite gaming experience to, to educate your, your, your uh, daughter or son on, on algebra. But I do think that this could go a long way from call it second grade, third grade and below, because I've, I've just really been attuned. And again, it's, there's some guilt in, in it as a, as a parent who's trying to deal with a lot of these issues is, you know, how engaged my son is during his screen time. And it's a fascinating thing. And I think that if we're able to, Again, the parent has influence. There's some type of expert knowledge curation. And again, got, kind of talking about the financial viability, I, I don't think that this is a moonshot by any stretch of the imagination. I think largely, as you mentioned, Khan Academy has great, great resource, great online teaching resources and, and classes. But I think scheduling it, packaging it, delivering it is where the differentiator happens. Because you mentioned there's, there's a number of different quote unquote solutions for what you're trying to achieve. But I think after school, uh, educational, um, emotional intelligence delivered via the screen and our, our new reality is something that the world greatly needs. So I'll jump in though. You have sort of maybe two different mindsets right now. One is the homeschool market at present where everyone is trying to educate at home. I think that's like a, a temporary moment and I, I bristle a little bit at creating for now versus where we will be. I like where the puck is going. And so it seems like the opportunity is, is the after school fill in the gaps elements when things eventually return to normal because schools are going to be rolling out their own versions of what's going on. So it seems like you're saying this is in the attention fight for 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. say mind share. I would say that's post stay at home. Post stay at home. We have a but co- it could, COVID it could get early. It could get early traction here for the homeschool uh, help. Those schools will be doing their own versions uh, of things. What grade would you start with? I would probably start with first and second grade. Um, I think my son would be too too young as a as a preschooler, and he's three. So my daughter's six. So I would go from like six to eight. I would start targeting that age group. 
Yeah. So let's talk about impact. It seems like the education gap is going to be significant. It would require a digital device, clearly internet. So access is a question, but in terms of impact, it's a high scores at present. And then in the future, you know, the additional components, um, you mentioned SEL, social emotional learning, like absolutely could use as much as possible. And the, the I gotta be honest, what parents are being asked to teach their kids uh, like we were just, I, I didn't sign up for that job. Like I'm trying to teach racial injustice to a two and a half year old as we go to a march. I'm like, I'm, I fell asleep during that class and I'm a privileged white male. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like reading up and I'm studying. And I'm like, that was just one. That was yeah. one summer. Um, yeah. And to that end, let's come back to the impact. I think impact scores here are, are, are high in the near term, maybe you know a little bit lower over time for that. Competition's a bit tough. The economic viability, do people pay for access at a monthly, is a subscription, a little SaaS game? What are we doing? No, I mean, I think it's gotta be advertising, unfortunately. I, I don't think that you can, you know, especially in public school, <laughs> We're, we're now moving from, a, again, this is maybe a little too much, but my family dynamics, my, my daughter's been in daycare since she was four months old and my son's been in daycare since he's been six months old. You know, her father's a, you know, entrepreneur. Her mother is a successful lawyer. Was, they got two working parents and we're trying to have a mortgage in Los Angeles. They've been in daycare. They've been around someone else since they were, you know, a few months out. And um, I think that we have to be able to supply a level of education delivered digitally that is is, is not paid for um, because I don't think it's it would be getting back into that impact uh, thing because high internet speed screen those are all levels barriers that uh, cut a lot of the the demographics possibly out of this equation out of the gate um, I think it's got to be t- sort of an advertised or or a nonprofit frankly that that has applied for grants and there's other some some other financial structure yeah. Okay. I love the sort of like entrepreneurially like shove ads in it and like, look, if a parent wants to pay for it and have no ads, fine. But guess what? When you walk into school and you don't think Coke paid to be there in that vending machine, <laughs> you got another thing coming, right? So like, it's just yeah, yeah. maybe more in your face. And so I'm just like going to speak to people like in the mind and someone's head be like, you want to advertise to our children? Like, I want to educate the children. And like, frankly, like that is an avenue of revenue that would make it happen. Uh, yeah. All right. Breath and depth. So yeah, I mean, it's it's a digital first idea that could scale, right? You don't need more employees. You need to create, one, create ones, maintain, and uh, hand over the curation elements. So it seems like it's pretty scalable in that effect. Uh, you imagine this as an app, I guess? Yeah, we, we, we cut the cord a couple months ago, or years ago, time lately. Um, and yeah, so now, you know, I'm downloading apps, PBS Kids. I've got it on all the iPads. I got it on my, my phone, my wife's phone. It's on the TV. Uh, delivered via Roku. So yeah, a, a simple application uh, that allows the user to, to access it, the child and parent to access it anywhere on any device. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, certainly a technical build as we talk about the, the startup costs of something like that, you know, like YouTube has an entire, I mean, Google has an entire department dedicated to try to figure out how to parent kid app things, permissioning and controls and a, a dual UX flow. And then I love any idea that's like not hey, let's create a walled garden over here and somehow create everything by ourselves. Like, no, there's wonderful things out here. Right now we are in a glut of content. So the game and the pendulum swings toward curated, intelligent aggregation and packaging, right? And so you're you're pulling in these different pieces of content, but those open up security holes and other issues when you talk about, ah, yeah, just link to that Cosmic Kids episode that I'm sure our kids both have watched a billion times. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. Uh, but- that's a YouTube thing and it's an autoplay. So there's a, there's some 
uh, questions control that you have to come up with. So how, how do you start this thing with the MVP? Yeah, so I think it, it starts with possibly a committee of parents, you know, that have some degree of online influence, I think that have an audience built in. Uh, I think that that's the, that's the early distribution. I think they need to partner with uh, an educator, uh, someone who possibly is respected in the space, that it has an offline, frankly, passion and, and knowledge base to deliver high quality curriculum that they understand what's being produced online, but they understand what the young minds need uh, in terms of, of early uh, childhood education. So I think it's, it's a committee of parents and an educator um, that are able to find the content and package it. And then obviously you need, you need a, an engineer or two to, to provide a wrapper. And, and I don't think about business development in terms of licensing deals. It's, it's a definitely, a, uh, as, as I've thought about kind of bootstrapping organizations before, it's, it's a question of you ask forgiveness as opposed to permission. Um, you just start delivering this type of content, get the eyeballs, uh, get some degree of traction. Uh, and I think you're able to figure out monetization and, and try to figure out where you can sort of double down on areas of growth. But it's a committee. And that's, again, going back to the differentiator, it's a committee of individuals um, educators and parents who care about curriculum and are under uh, understand the ability to aggregate some of the online valuable content and education resources for kids. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, so I mean, the app and the build like this is a this is a ticket. This is a big ticket to build, right? Tough startup. Uh, no, I wouldn't say that. I mean, you'd be surprised how far an engineer or two, uh, especially contracted, but one PM sort of VP uh, leadership can get you. Um, but yeah, I mean, a hundred, couple hundred thousand dollars will get you pretty far. I think the tricky thing is, is as you mentioned, you know, who's going to be a stickler for licensing that content. I think if you're able to, you know, turn it into some type of maybe nonprofit, maybe social mission, B Corp. I think the distribution of that content might get a little easier in terms of those conversations, but yeah, no, I don't, I don't think it is a big build, so to speak, uh, to take it far in scale for sure. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I'm going to give you on this one, a score. I like, as a parent, like, I love this thing. The, the upfront cost just scares the heck out of me. Right. And then the advertising model scares the heck out of me. Cause I think the parents look at it and you're like, Oh, it's two strikes to get me. And then distribution you can get into of like, how do you get in the hands? Like, I think we're assuming we're in a moment, like, frankly, you get in the press and every parent's like, you, you're just dying for this thing. You're freaking dying for this thing right now. And so like, there's a little bit of that, but I want to test that. So I love the impact of it. This thing scares me. I'm going to give you a six and a half. What score do you give yourself on this? Uh, out of 10, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go a seven, I think. I, I think there's definitely big questions on technical, technical execution. Uh, and to be completely frank, I know very little about, you know, video uh, on-demand delivery as it relates to infrastructure and, and builds. It's just not my area of the internet. Um, but I think that all things considered, I'll, I'll throw it to seven on there. Yeah, I would, I would say my MVP would be different. I'm, I, I fancy myself incredibly scrappy and cheap. So my approach would be to collectively uh, sort of do a digital hire of a teacher, right? And so I'd get like 50 parents together, hire a teacher, and then I would build this open source curricula around as they went through. So almost like a subscription Substack model where they're like, they get their daily digest. The kid has programming that is synchronous and asynchronous, but I'm just paying a teacher. And all the while they're building what I need. And I'm like seeing as we go. So there's parts of the day where you're on and off, but it's built around mm-hmm. that. 
And frankly, I would do it through a web app. Um, I would yeah. hack it together. I, the app build scares me. Um, I, I've been burned too many times by, by that game. So I, I would go that hack approach to, to get that done. But someone should do this. Go do this, somebody. We'll, yeah, somebody. We'll have two users ready to use it. We need, we need this. <laughs> All righty. Gosh, that was a lot. That was brilliant. I love that. All right. So I'm going to piggyback a little bit on this and say, I know that some kind of app like that's going to exist. I know that my child digests a lot of content on that stupid, you know, device across different apps, which is freaking annoying because it's like, I didn't know if she went to the PBS app. We were mentioning that Khan Academy and she says she's dancing around to these different elements. And one of the things that I really want to push is active participation, cognitive activity during these pieces. And some of that has to be done in reading comprehension and in follow-up. And so I don't want to have to sit there and watch every single episode of what she has watched. I need, as a parent, a meta layer of information appended to anything she's watching and then just freaking sent to me in a digest. So at the end of the day, it's like, hey, uh, I know you were watching Peep today and they were playing with the colors. How did, you know, how did it, that color work for that? Did it change when they went in there? And I want to have that dialogue with her and I need to be cognizant of what she watched, but I can't watch another episode of Peep. So it's a, it's a meta layer. And what does this actually look like? Okay. So it is looking across all types of content and saying like, all right, here's the, the digest of what we knew and like reading it, like you'll have to get some info from YouTube hooks and other pieces. But if there was a way of capturing that or at least structuring it so that like, all right, here's the stuff that they're going to do. And if you know that list, here's the parent digest that you could summarize. So I can't tell if it's just a freaking extra add-on feature to uh, YouTube kids or uh, these platforms. I, I'm like one step away from it, but I know what I need. And it involves sort of like the analysis of listening of like, here's exactly what happened on this kid's device. And I could open that up and say like, all right, somebody summarize this and like this matching. Cause frankly, when you go and like, you're like, oh, it's gonna be impossible to find all this data of what they're watching. We're all watching the same thing. There's a reason yeah. why Cosmic Kids has got 2 million freaking downloads in two days. We're yeah. all watching the same stuff. I just need a meta layer attached to that and then sent to me as a digest. So almost like a web, I mean, you could, you could crawl descriptions of videos and, and, and ping you an email at 5 p.m. as a cliff notes with a few bullets and that could get you kind of there. Yeah, maybe. Uh, how many apps are you considering? So YouTube kids you've mentioned. Yeah. PBS kids. Yeah. And Khan Academy. That, and Khan Academy. And you're looking to basically engage her, I think you said? She? Yeah, dialogue. I just want a summary of what she consumed in the day. And like these devices will give me like number of hours, but it's like, I just hit on my own idea. It's like, what I'm saying is tough because it's multi-app, it's protected. And it's like, it's almost too hard to get that information collected together. And it's not just the, you know, sort of description. That would be a good hack. I want like, here are three questions to ask, right? The reading mm. questions like, did you understand what happened in that? Are you just passively sitting here letting freaking images overwhelm your brain? Yeah, I, I think about my, um, it's, I think it's because it's some of the kids on the street, but I'm, I'm all into it. My daughter's been watching Hamilton on repeat and uh, I cringe at some of the lines, um, you know, that, that they sing, uh, you know, mentioning about bastards and whores. I hope that can be uh, not scrubbed online, uh, but it's an amazing, obviously uh, a play and now a movie that you can watch on Disney plus but I'm trying to figure out how to engage her. You know, I've had to say, you know, this is about America and the constitution and politics. 
And she knows what America is. She has no idea what a constitution is, the constitution, and she doesn't understand what politics are. Um, but now she's starting to sing about George Washington and Alexander Hamilton and Thomas Jefferson. And it's been opening up this whole new world to me, but I'm like, I need to figure out how to break this down into some talking points and ask her some pointed questions around at a sixth grade, a six year old level of how to walk her through and teach her about these concepts. Yeah, so maybe back into it and I'd say the, the first step would be just sort of coming up with a, a Blinkist for you put in the list of stuff your kids like have been watching in aggregate. So you won't know by the day and that kind of thing unless you really can hook the API and really get there. So it's really just going through that meta layer and saying like, all right, input the things that you're watching and here are the themes. Here's how to talk about them. And it's like in a synthesized way that I can read or even listen to. So I can be like, all right, this is what I should be talking to my kid about because parents are being pushed into the seat of teachers without the training, yeah. simply put. And we don't know where to start and we have little time, fortunately. And uh, all that combined is I need a like that. So that that's the idea. All right. It's, it's a Blinkist for kids content that explains to you how to talk about it quickly. I put in what I need and it's generated for me. All right. That's my idea. Um, what do you think impact viability and uh, breadth, breadth depth? Uh, so I think, I think impact is a fascinating one. Uh, you know, if I think about the demographics, socioeconomic factors, I think about the time at which parents, again, we're talking about a conversation with two, if I can speak for you, uh, white privileged males, um, the time <laughs> it would, the time at which you have to engage your children. We both, I think, make our, our living on the internet and um, I'm able to spend time and be at home, albeit um, wrangling them and debating and fighting with them about, you know, cheese sticks and, and cheddar rockets or whatever. Uh, but I do have the time to engage them, right? So I think that that if you look at across the spectrum of demographics, I don't have, I'm not a, I'm not a service worker. I don't need to go somewhere. I don't need, you know, I'm, I don't, I come home tired, quote unquote, come home tired when I walk downstairs. Um, but I haven't been driving, you know, to, to work in McDonald's or Starbucks or a hospital or, or something like that. But I think that it's, it's, it's high because every parent who loves their child is looking to build a relationship with their kid. And, and make them better than you at the end of the day. I think that's what, what a goal should be of their child, a parent should be of their child is to make them better, give them a better life that you had. So I think that the, the potential impact is pretty high. The, the viability in terms of, well, how would, how would, how would you monetize it? Uh, subscription, you know? Subscription, uh, yeah. And what I'd say is uh, to that end of privilege, I, I love the, the Sam Harris podcast option of saying, hey, look, you pay for this feed. If you don't have the money to pay for it, I don't want to stop you from getting this. So you put a little heck up there, but if someone wants that content, absolutely free, free for you. Yeah. I would probably go that avenue. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that um, kind of going back to maybe my idea, I think it's the, the authority or the expert or the, the institutional knowledge around the, 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 the subscription. So I, I would want to know that the questions and maybe it's just my 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 age and my experience uh, building on the internet. But I don't I don't want a computer to tell me how to talk to my daughter. Mm. I want I want an educator who or a parent who has older children who are say successful or uh, who have gone through through school and and then have come out the other end, maybe not in a global pandemic, um, but have experience around engaging their children in questions. Uh, but it's got to be somewhat recent because they have to understand the digital dynamics of education uh, and, and content, I think. Um, context. I thought you were about to say context. I was like, it's a thousand percent also context, which is why a computer can't do it, right? What right. you writing about Hamilton, right, as a takeaway narrative, 
is uniquely different right now. <laughs> uniquely different in this context. And that is what I'm talking about. Like yeah. information is not static. That mm -hmm. curriculum is not static. What mm -hmm. Our job as parents is not static. It's not what our parents did. So uh, I'm totally with you on like, you can't automate this stuff. It's gotta be, um, you know, it's gotta be intelligently curated and synthesized in a way that I can get it into my head, get these points together and then talk to them because you know, those conversations are going to happen. I'd rather do it with a little bit more firepower. All right. Scalable. Yeah. Like you create once you push it out everywhere kind of, um, in that way, what questions do you have for startup? I would say I would choose the, I would go through Hawk through and just be like, I would probably go about it maybe from a written content so I can do an SEO play on a page for summary and then have a subscription for like, get your, get your quick digest on like top 10 most common shows. And I do summaries of those with an educator bring in and be like, how do you talk about it? You got five minutes on cosmic kids yoga. Like what do they actually learn? What are the undertones? Oh, breath, breathing mindset. Oh, they're talking about anger, frustration, and these types of things. I like, I go after those pieces and then maybe even form partnerships with uh, those content producers saying like, Hey, cosmic kids use it, show this in the description because we're helping this dialogue and uh, shove comments there to find and fish for parents. Cause like finding people in the funnel. So that, that would be my first step, top content, talk with an educator, write it up, SEO play, and, uh, and then pay for a feed, a narrative. Well, and look no further than something like Substack to actually have an audience or influencer exactly. that's able to monetize text, you know, on a, on a, a newsletter fact delivered to be a newsletter. So yeah, it's totally viable. Oh, I'm so I'm quietly disappointed that this just like boils down to all roads lead to Substack. To, to, to people in the social impact space, what is Substack actually? Like, I think it's unfair to assume knowledge here. Oh, so if you think about newsletters, uh, you know, whether it be brand or individual, Substack is a way to monetize your written content via d delivery of newsletter. It's an email newsletter by individuals. But what they do is they repurpose it so you have a, a you know permalink on the web. So there's a lot of SEO to it, but it's delivered to your inbox and you're able to monetize it. The individual, the solo creator is able to monetize it through the Substack application. There you go. All right. So uh, what score do I get? Uh, I like this. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with a six on terms of across the board for for impact viability. I do think that the, the one question why I just give it a six is because of the scalability. If you think about all of the content that our kids are consuming across all the different applications, I think that's a very large uh, library of data that you might have to tackle at the outset, which is why I would maybe just give it a little bit of a 0.5 less. Yeah, I hear you on that. Um, I would probably attack it with a power law because there's certain types of content that's just disproportionately being consumed. Uh, attack that and maybe do a, like a pay for like request. Ah, that's not in our library, but like we'll go hunt it down for you for five bucks or something. So maybe there's a monetization element uh, potential there, but I agree. I think I bumped me up to uh, 6.25. So I'm going to give myself six and a half. <laughs> nice. And it's time to feed the whales with a quick ad about Whole Whale University. This is our best online content packaged in courses. We're talking SEO content marketing, Google ad grant, cybersecurity, and tons of webinars and other templates for you to use. You can buy them individually or as an annual subscription. Uh, we really put our best work in here. And if you're interested in the topics in this podcast that we tend to cover, we go a mile deep with these courses. That's wholewhale.com slash university. All right. 
right? We're fighting, we're fighting for points here. Um, Alrighty, moving along. You're up. What do you got? Oh, right, by so the way, is... I should say which which donation. Uh, who uh, I, I think I'm going to play for Common Sense. Common Sense Media. Okay. They're an amazing. Uh, they're an amazing nonprofit that. Uh, provides education advocacy for families to promote safe technology and media for children. They're super cool. Awesome. Uh, I got to go with one staple of mine back on my feet. Uh, They're an organization that helps uh, homeless individuals literally get back on their feet by giving them running shoes and running clothes and just making them go running every morning. Go run. I love it. I'm a runner. Um, Great organization. All right. Back to our regularly scheduled uh, (laughs) events here. What is the next idea? Yeah, so the next one is, is very timely. And as I've thought about these ideas, I, I want to have a, uh, something that addresses a specific need, I think, in this day, but then have a longer shelf life. So this one, the, th- the problem that I'm struggling with is uh, the information around children who are being diagnosed uh, with COVID, uh, the coronavirus. And I think maybe it's just the current vacuum of maybe leadership in our country, but I just, I haven't been able to find a source where there is uh, breath, not, I'm not necessarily even looking at expert or accurate or, or certain uh, degrees of moderation in terms of, of the content being published at the outset, rather a source of information of what child, what children are experiencing with this disease. And again, this is, this is something that I think carries over post-pandemic, which, which I'll talk about. But basically, it's a database of, of uh, symptoms from children uh, who demonstrate that they have COVID-19. It's uh, user-generated content, somewhat degree crowdsource, if you will, that parents are importing conditions and symptoms that uh, the kids are being diagnosed with and are dealing with during uh, the coronavirus. I think that this, for me personally, and again, I'm being somewhat selfish, in this uh, request uh, for product is that I don't know what kids are dealing with when they have COVID. Uh, I think that the places that I've sought out online, the media sources that, and again, it might be to a degree of the function of, of where we're at with the, with the pandemic, but I just don't see a source where I can go. Not trusted source, we can talk about that in a second, but just a source that's demonstrating in sort of a first person, first person narrative my son or daughter who is this age, we live in this part of the country, is diagnosed with COVID and demonstrating these types of symptoms. And this is how we're dealing with it. And this is what we're going through. And I think that as you zoom out just for a second, I think this could be applicable to a number of different diseases as it relates to children. Because again, I'm an expert of six years here, uh, that kids, you know, especially with COVID, they're saying, oh, well, they have a temperature. They are, uh, they're tired, they're fatigued, they have a stomach ache, they have diarrhea. That's Tuesday in my household. So, you know, having just a source that I can say, oh yeah, this is sort of common. This is what we're dealing with. This is the area that you're in. And this is how old your child is. And when they're male or female, I think could go a long way in giving a parent a source of comfort. Again, I'm trying to to couch this concept and bookend it uh, with some rails here that um, within the specific disease, we kind of understand what we're dealing with just in terms of just outputs and, and the dynamics. Mm-hmm. So why, I hit you with this earlier, why is this not patients like me, right? Like that's the go-to database winner take all right now. Yeah, I, I, maybe it's just because it hasn't come up on my, my hits, um, but I haven't been able to, I guess, see that in Los Angeles, 
with the kids who have had coronavirus, they're demonstrating this. So I think that that might be, there might be some type of, you know, geographic information that's tagged, uh, an age tag um, that I might not necessarily be familiar with, with that solution or output, but um, I just haven't been able to find that on, on a scale that which says, yes, children are dealing with this. This is how we've been addressing it. And you can expect, that's what I'm looking for, an expectation around what your kid's going to deal with, possibly with certain types of conditions when they're going to get coronavirus. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think there are amazing apps and communities like this around Crohn's disease. And you look at some of these like apps and pieces like that, that like are just like, this is such a complicated thing. We all got together. We're all in this ecosystem and they have like the database sorted and searched an option. Like one of the things is the problems are myriad with detecting symptoms early and understanding what is related to what. And so often like it is only in hindsight that you're like, Oh, I guess that may have been related. And I think the foe here is so confusing and complexing that uh, signal to noise would be your massive, massive issue here uh, of, of sort of like turning, turning that in, um, you know, as it evolves, it's hard to say. So like the reliance on macro announcements from the CDC or world health organization, as it like scares every parent right now being like, Oh, this is a symptom. Oh, this can be affected. doesn't affect kids at all. Wait a minute. There's a kid in Texas that just died. Wait, there's 90 babies over there that just got sick. What happened with that? And like, I mean, I've got a newborn. So, you know, we are kind of in the same game of just like trying to boil the ocean in terms of like finding everything, but trust. How do you deal with that? Right. How do I trust that that dope over there didn't just have the flu and yep. it was like saying random, uh, random stuff over there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think going back to the education, uh, the, the digital first PBS, so to speak, I do think that there's a, a expert, uh, authority, label that, you know, would be a medical practitioner that needs to, you know, badge this post saying, yes, they got coronavirus, they tested positive over three tests or something like that. There has to be some type of moderating factor on the, the content, especially if it's going to be user user generated and put it by, by a regular individual. And I, I, I think that I've been struggling with this concept. And again, it's just, I think the moment that we're in around experts, influencers, knowledge bases of, frankly, everything from market thesis to public markets, startups, technology. No one knows what the heck is going on and no one knows what's going to be hold tomorrow. And so I think that I've been trying to balance, you know, trust in outlets that I've always relied on versus what's happening in real time and what am I experiencing on a personal level and day to day and how can I reconcile those two things as I look to make choices of do we think it's safe to send my child to my son to preschool at age three and a half and they've been open all summer and they haven't had any cases and so on and so forth right like I'm looking for information to make that decision a little more informed yeah um so you're imagining a, a platform with secure login for parents to talk about information, somehow HIPAA compliant um, that then aggregates uh, and lets you sort and validate, validate or invalidate. Well, right. So the rub here is, is the data has to be anonymized. Um, however, it has to be, there has to be some type of authority labeled on it that says, yes, I'm a medical practitioner in the area. And for this specific case, I, uh, uh, deem this as, as accurate, um, which makes, I think, the scalability, uh, the viability of this, this idea of being scalable um, very, 
uh, very challenging out of the gate. But I think that also if, you know, I, I had a friend who their daughter, same age as my son was during COVID is diagnosed with leukemia. Oh, and sorry to hear that. yeah. And she, she had to start getting, uh, you know, uh, radiation uh, treatment in the middle of a global pandemic. And it's like, I started looking at, you know, how they found out and the, the steps that they had to go through and the tests and stuff. And so I think that there are, like you mentioned uh, for say Crohn's, I think there are community led and community driven outlets that are sort of coalescing around these, these diseases and providing support and providing information. And, and to be honest, I think the next one that's going to have to happen is, and maybe it is specific to the coronavirus, but um, these sort of flu like pandemics that, that frankly are possibly going to be in our future for, for the rest of our lives. Yeah. I mean, you get the WebMD searches that you can go and you like toss in a symptom and see what comes up, um, pieces like that. Uh, you know, I get very nervous with um, the mixture of ingredients that you're playing with. So on this side, I give you high points for need, right? The need is unquestionable, but the delivery of it and using the word trust um, is tough, especially right now. Uh, the way I'd probably modify or hack this would probably be to go with a curation element here, but a taxonomy layered onto medical journal research. So I could search for symptom, I could search for age, and then I'm like, here are the journals that came up and then maybe a synthesis of like, here's what's being published and certified that's out there. Then give an option for submit something else and then have that go through a curation engine. But it would be, um, it would be a researcher led piece in a taxonomy layer that lets you look through like the stupid amounts of medical journals that are being put out there that are, mind you, being done for other researchers. It's not for freaking parents being like, what's going on here? Um, I don't right. want to read the whole thing. I need it sort of summarized. So I'd, I'd approach it as a, a data organization uh, yeah. challenge. And I would stay away from the patients like me approach. I only see problems. I have I've built user communities and I know the moderation piece um, many times. And you're just like, it's crazy. Um, I, you it's know, crazy. yeah. And then like COPPA could get into it as well if they share stupid information inappropriately because parents don't realize like, oh no, it's a public network. And I just shared the location and age of my kid. Yeah, children under 13 on the internet information is super sensitive. I also so, see this being very useful landmines. for very, very being very useful for contact tracing as we move into the sort of next phase of this of this disease that or excuse me, this pandemic that that people are trying to figure out how to how to Dude, squash it. I think it's the Apple Google solution. Like I think the phones. I, I love that solution right now, but it's being rolled out in certain states. We'll see. All right. So let's go through impact, viability, breath depth. Talk about the impact. I think you know, parents definitely need it. Uh, you know, it's questionable what you do with that information once you have it because we don't know what we're fighting. We don't even know if knowing a symptom would be lead you to take a test or should I take a test? Um, and if it is as simple as looking up symptoms or not. So I don't know about the impact. I think the impact on the psychological mindset of a parent might be more than the actual, did this help a patient? But I'm not smart enough to make that call. Uh, viability, how do you make money on this thing? Or is it just something you, you put in the world? What is the, what is the game? You know, I think much like user-generated content on the internet, you're going to hopefully a drive eyeballs I'm thinking in the purest capitalist uh, sense of the execution. So it's, it has to be some type of advertising, uh, you know, paying for this type of information, maybe if there's some premium type content, but this, this is a, in my opinion, this is something that's just a public health that you want to be able to give people for quote unquote free. And so I think you have to kind of advertise against those eyeballs driving that traffic. Yeah. Now you come back to your ads. Um, yeah, I agree. You want to, you want to get it out there. Um, and it's, it's only going to work if you have a lot of eyeballs on it. So inherently what you do then is sell the thing, the book, the, 
the responsible eyeball, hopefully, to, to that. Right. Uh, scalability, yeah. I mean, everyone's searching for this stuff right now, very clearly. Um, you would create it once, and if it's a marketplace that people are signing up for, a platform, it's like, you know, sign up for users, you need your, your basic. The hundredth user doesn't cost that much more than the hundred and first, so that seems clear. Uh, all right, how would, you, how would you start? What is the MVP on this thing? So I think it, uh, it goes back to, as I mentioned, sort of a, a tool that these contact tracers, I think, are, are, are needing. Again, it's directed towards, towards children, but I think you start to see this type of information in major metropolitan areas. So San Francisco, New York, Los Angeles, Texas, somewhere in the Southeast, Atlanta, uh, you are gathering just stories that people are being told. So I think you're, you're trying to solicit information that if you, if for user generated content, there has to be a reciprocal value proposition for the user to input that information in that data. So I think that that is, that's a chicken or the egg uh, type type problem as it relates to building a community. But I think that you see this type of information in major metropolitan areas that people are again, already searching for. So you could probably, do some contextual analysis around how valuable these, these searches are in terms of SEO and, and the information. Uh, but then the, again, the hurdle is where, where does the rubber meet the road for the person to input this information and let it be publicly dis displayed and searchable. So I think you have to kind of seed it from stories that are already being told possibly, you know, on the internet or, or through contact tracing anonymized data so that people can go to it and say, oh, this is helpful. I'm going to actually contribute. It's a, it's a tricky MVP, to be honest. The uh, technical execution, I, this, this is just a forum threaded moderation comments. You know, this, all this stuff, ex, yeah, all this stuff yeah. exists on the internet. All right. My hack on it would be, again, this is a data organization problem. And I'd be looking at aggregating and automatically organizing uh, various feeds. So I use a sort of feed uh, scraper to find these pieces, pull them in have a meta layer go over it saying, all right, you are this, you are this, you are the, for this age. So I'd, I'd build my taxonomy around a parent. Um, and then I would secondarily have a web scraper because these stories are out there. I've seen them on Facebook. I've seen them on Twitter. I would find them, find the mention, source link, summarize and say like, all right, here is the anecdotal world of shit you can wade through. Keep in mind, we don't know. Here is the academic mindset. Now I want to pair them up and see like where I can find my own thing and do a summary there. And then by the way, if you want to submit or whatever here, fine and, and have that, but like, just be like, yeah, post on Twitter. We'll find you. Um, I, I wouldn't be the destination. The data scares me. The, the reliability yeah. scares me. The whole thing is landmine filled. Um, I love the idea of having a doctor, but which doctor? I think their fallibility right now, the medical industry is at an all time effing high. As a parent, yeah. I'm just frustrated and scared. So it's like, yeah. um, I'd be very careful with this one. This one's a little radioactive for me. Um, yeah. I'm going to a lower score yeah. on this one because I just, I, I think it's, I, the score is coming from the need. You have identified the need. And I think this would be great um, out there, but I, I can't feel it. Um, so I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a, I'm teetering on the like, do I go below five? I'll give you a five because it's like, as a parent, I'm like, I want the thing, but I don't know how to build the thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll do you one better. I'm actually going to give it a four um, because again, the, the, it would be, <clears throat> it would be higher, but it's just, it's simply the need. It's simply the, the anxiety and the angst and frustration as a parent living day to day that I don't have this tool. The text, the, the execution of it, the idea, the monetization uh, as an entrepreneur, you know, <laughs> not to give away the farm, but I probably wouldn't touch this with a 10 foot pole. <laughs> <laughs> 
I just, I just want this information <laughs> packaged in a way that I can use it. Just check your liability insurance. Forward, friends. Um, all righty. I'm going to do a hot swap of an idea here because I'm tired of talking about health. It's depressing. Yeah. I'm going to go sure. back um, on our education uh, idea. So I like podcasts and I personally have embarked on a project and kind of put out there on the side a um, activity and guide for how you should talk and can talk to your parents and interview them about various points in their life, asking them key questions such as, you know, like, how did you meet? What talking about your career? What were the sixties like? And there's so much, so much information, so much rich story history. Now there's great nonprofits out there like StoryCorps. And I know, you know, if you're thinking like, Oh, what about StoryCorps? They're brilliant. I don't want the fact that maybe there's some like really embarrassing stuff in my history to be in the public library of Congress. Like I don't need that. I don't want that. You know what? Sometimes the audience of one is enough. And so in this world, what it would be is a much more robust approach into categorizing the conversations that you should have and then packaging them in a way that they could be used as learning for your kids. Right. And so your parents are no offense. My parents are one of them in particular. I love you, mom. Maybe a touch verbose. She has many words, but I would want her comments and talking about a certain topic, such as being uh, the first woman at Georgetown and what sexism actually meant in that era. I want that. I don't want what the problem is that gets lost in literally a two hour conversation. I want that. And so ultimately what you have is a high-end service that says, hey, we're going to go through and categorize across these 10 you know, topics and conversations and elements, and then synthesize for you fundamental life lessons as taught by your parents and living, um, living descendants as you choose. It, it comes with a cost, but guess what? It's going to live forever. And there's no better teacher than the people that taught you. And so it's kind of like a, a write your own book. So book in a box kind of had a, an early start with this where it's like, look, it costs you 25 grand, but you're going to have a brilliant thing. Um, what I'm saying is you're going to have a very high ticket cost. Now to get the other tail of this, you have a lightweight version that like sort of walks you through the conversations and app by app, have a conversation about a question and automatically hack it together. It won't be as good. Audio won't be as good. won't be as there, but it's a two-parter and it basically lets you turn uh, a knowledge body of your institutional living relatives into something engages folks right now as well. So um, those are the two parts. Um, run a little SEO play, get it out there up front, and, and then, then uh, work to sell. So it's definitely a premium consumer service. That, that uh, Ideally, the, the, lead, the lead product is you pay to have these stories uh, uh, packaged. Yeah. And it's uh, primarily audio delivered? Um, audio first, transcripted, obviously. Um, cool. Yeah, interesting. Personally, I really like that idea because, you know, my, I have very interesting parents. Uh, my dad was born in Northern Ireland during the troubles. He moved to the States at uh, 15 and said that he uh, got the Irish accent beat out of him, but, you know, in the inner cities of Manhattan. Uh, but that's just one anecdote that I know. I'd love to understand the context of what those fights were and how he used to look in the mirror as a young boy and, you know, talk, speak English and try to uh, uh, really practice not having his Irish brogue. Also, my, my wife's grandfather, who just passed away at 102, oh, wow. uh, went to the University of Los Angeles before it was uh, at UCLA. He was taking float planes over to Catalina with Bing Crosby. And the guy used to just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk um, up until his, his deathbed. But the stories that, that guy had, I always wanted to 
to get him down. And I always wanted to write and hear I was, I've had tape recorders and I had all these grand ideas and obviously it takes hours and hours of time that I didn't have. So rest, rest in peace, Milt Stein. But yeah, no, I think this is tremendously valuable. I wonder if people would pay for it. I think that, you know, maybe it's just you and I, and maybe our, again, upbringings or family dynamics or place in the world that maybe we value this type of history and this knowledge which I think is tremendously valuable for our kids and for the future and whatnot. But the price tag, I think you would need to get it to a place that's approachable for the output, because how do you put a price on history? How do you put a, a value, a dollar amount on, you know, your mom attending Georgetown for the first time, which is as a, as a woman, the first woman, like that's, that's iconic, right? These are, these are platinum records, so to speak. Um, so I think that that would be one of the challenges in monetizing. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's roll through them on the impact side. Here's the problem. I give myself a low score on impact and sort of that, that unless you, so I have two end. I have the high end that offsets it, right? It's a Tesla freaking model. I need someone to buy a $200,000 car and then I'm going to build the thirties. Like I know how to build the thirties, but I can't do it out of the gate with confidence because I am mm -hmm. risk averse and I want the money in hand so that I can then offset that. So in terms of impact, it's a mile deep right? It is creating something of such important value that like when everything burned down, like right now, if you were to take my computer, crash it and everything else, like um, I've got a folder, you know, it's backed up and it contains all of these precious conversations that I've had with uh, my relatives and I'm continuing to build to it, but it's called the family archive. And I'm like that, that, like, I want that to be created for people. They're like, it's so freaking valuable. And what I realized in it is like, there's just so much footage now that I'm like, there's gems in here but it's going to take someone to just sit and listen. So the next process is, is laborious. It's time intensive. Yeah. And I think there's yeah. having done this, there's a way of sharpening it so that on the long tail, right? So the consumer cost of like, all right, for 300 bucks, here's the solution to go do. And then if you want the Cadillac where we are going in, we're chopping this up. And by the way, we're also doing with a mindset of who's going to be the audience, right? Are we trying to educate uh, a child coming of age? Are we trying to educate somebody and give lessons for people that are about to go into college and make a big life transition and life moment? Life moments are so well mm -hmm. described, captured and contextualized by this generation and we are missing it. We're losing it. So yeah, the Cadillac would be $10,000. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and people yeah. someone would pay right um and i back end that with podcasters essentially carefully vetted and then like uh chopped up in a way that then come to them in something with a with a bit of polish um you know it's easy to bookify whatever um frankly um in terms of financial viability like i said you know like, i don't know if somebody would buy it <laughs> i don't know i, I think uh, what i like about this is that i think there's two ends of the market that you can play with the low end B2C being like, hey, here is a DIY version, go try to do this. There is a like guided you know, app experience that would bring you through, ask this question. Now ask this question as though your kid was going into college. Now ask this question as though they had their first kid. What was your experience? And then like chopping those elements up, right? Like really it's about, and I come back to this so much, organization and taxonomy. And it's just once yeah. you have that frame in place, things really can pop together. Well, if you could design, if you could design the template in with scale in mind, then you can start yeah. to repackage. Yeah. So that's the part that has the opportunity for scale. But like, let's just be honest, like people, like you said, don't have the time to stand with a recorder. That's a shame. You're like, oh, we'll get around to it. We'll do it. Then. Like, it's hard. You have to treat it like a business, which is why the Cadillac version. Um, maybe there's something in between to play with, but um, yeah, uh, I think that's my answer on impact, viability, breadth. Um, 
and uh, any other questions across our criteria as we move to score me? Yeah, no, I just, I, two things come to mind. It's, it's your, it's the photo app on your phone that has 5,000 photos and there's no moderating or curating factor other than like a heart or a send or something like that. Uh, and then, yeah, I was literally just watching a video with my mother-in-law of Milt that he took hours and hours of video footage on his warship in World War II. And it's him. He was the captain of a ship. And now, now oh. I know. I have no idea. Yeah, it's amazing. It's black and white. It's it's grainy. It's freaking ridiculous. Old Los Angeles, old New York. But I don't know what to do with this amazing piece of content that, in my mind, it's so valuable. I don't know how much value it is to others. Dude, you should send it to the Library of Congress. Actually, that should be freaking <laughs> archived, true. dude. Like, That's no true. joke. Don't sit on yeah. that. Yeah. Put that out there. But yeah, um, I think there's like tons of like creative projects, but I mean, like, it's like, it's that kind of thing, um, but productizing it. Um, all mm -hmm. right. Any other questions before you give me a score? Breadth or depth? How scalable is this? I think the company works um, fundamentally. The breadth would only work if I had the DIY component, like drop to a cost and a, an approach to doing it. The problem is it takes people's time, the most precious commodity, and you need yeah. that interviewer. And so to that end, Maybe it is a, an assisted interviewer tool, like you have somebody else do it, but like um, that, I, I can't get her. I cannot pretend like it's not a massive hurdle, right? A user acquisition hurdle. It won't just happen by itself. I mean, it could potentially if a parent like feels like recording themselves, right? Mm -hmm. If it's like, hey, parent, just sit here and answer these questions and go through. And maybe that works. I, I don't know. Yeah. I haven't tested it. That would be the only way it scales. If like, if it's on the initiative of a parent themselves to go through and facilitate, like press record. Now talk about what it was when, like, what advice do you have for this? Cool. All right. What's my score? I'm going to go, I'm going to go six and a half. I think that there's a, audio is obviously having a renaissance. I think that history and stories, I just, I'm a big fan of, I think trying to package it. The score wouldn't go higher because the, the technical execution or the viability in terms of monetization, how big this gets as an entrepreneur, that lens is, is a big open question. But I think it's, again, I'm, I'm dealing with this uh, in the last few weeks and months as I try to understand that the history of, you know, my family and my wife's family. Yeah, I'll go with on a, on a, on a six. I think it works as a company. It absolutely will work. I've seen some other sort of like uh, boutique, like a podcast will do one interview. And I'm like, it's not about the one. What you realize is like, one story opens up the door to a hundred of these and having the voice of our parents like live on a little bit, uh, especially as it's really come to bear that we're losing Americans in the hundreds of thousands. And with that, there are stories and there are lessons uh, and voices that like, even if no one does this idea, like grab a mic, go talk to someone, right? Like if you're listening to this right now, go do that. Yeah. So I'll go with on that and I, I'll net out a 6.25 there. So if I were to crunch some numbers, friend, you, you had a lead of 0.5, which you squandered with your health data. Uh, and so I, I think I come away with a, with a win on this one. Just make sure I got my numbers right. Yep. I kneecapped my, my ideas of the four. I mean, you went into the grinder, man. That's what happens with these social entrepreneurship ideas. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Joe, I want to say, Thank you so much for openly sharing. I think this is like a fun one on like a very parenting narrative, um, which is great. You have incredible experience in the field. What advice would you give social entrepreneurs that are trying to think about executing, right? Ideas are cheap. It's all about whether or not you can bring them into the world. Um, so what is, what is it that you want to leave people with thinking? I think that it shouldn't just be social entrepreneurs, but if, if you have impact in mind, you're going to lead with that. 
I think just from a product and value proposition, I think you have to bring solutions, whether it be software or services or anything else to a user that delights them, that makes their life better, uh, that they can see a better self in your product. And that's what's going to differentiate them. So anything that you're delivering, anything that you're designing, just understand that you have to have empathy, put your feet in their shoes and try to build a better world for that individual and you'll be successful. Thanks so much. How do people find you? How do people help you? We'll have a link in the podcast, obviously, but what are you looking for? How do we help you? Uh, just, you know, say what's up on Twitter. I'm KJ McGee. That's Kieran Joseph McGee, just my name, KJ McGee. And uh, check out my writings on Medium, writing about my past projects and future projects there. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Likewise, this was fun. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 